Letter thirty four, part one of Clarissa Harlowe, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty four, part one. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Tuesday evening, and continued through the night. Well, my dear, I am alive, and here, but how long I shall be either here or alive, I cannot say. I have a vast deal to write, and perhaps shall have little time for it. Nevertheless, I must tell you how the saucy Betty again discomposed me when she came up with this Solmes's message, although, as you will remember from my last, I was in a way before that wanted no additional surprises. Miss, 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 cried she, as fast as she could speak, with her arms spread abroad, and all her fingers distended and held up. "'Will you be pleased to walk down into your own parlour? "'There is everybody, I will assure you, in full congregation, "'and there is Mr. Soames, as fine as a lord, "'with a charming white peruke, fine laced shirt and ruffles, "'coat trimmed with silver, and a waistcoat standing on end with lace. "'Quite handsome, believe me. "'You never saw such an alteration. "'Ah, miss,' shaking her head, "'tis pity you have said so much against him. "'But you will know how to come off all that. "'I hope it will not be too late.' "'Impertinent,' said I, were thou bid to come up in this fluttering way? And I took up my fan and fanned myself. Bless me, said she, how soon these fine young ladies will be put into flusterations. I mean not either to offend or frighten you, I am sure. Everybody there, do you say? Who do you call everybody? Why, miss, holding out her left palm opened and with a flourish and a saucy leer, patting it with the forefinger of the other at every mentioned person. There is your papa, there is your mamma. "'There's your Uncle Harlow, there's your Uncle Antony, your Aunt Harvey, my young lady, and my young master, and Mr. Soames, with the air of a great courtier, standing up, because he named you. "'Mrs. Betty,' said he. Then the ape of a wench bowed and scraped, as awkwardly as I suppose the person did whom she endeavoured to imitate. "'Pray give my humble service to Miss, and tell her I wait her commands.' "'Was not this a wicked wench? I trembled so I could hardly stand.' I was spiteful enough to say that her young mistress, I supposed, bid her put on these airs, to frighten me out of a capacity of behaving so calmly as should procure me my uncle's compassion. "'What a way do you put yourself in, miss?' said the insolent. "'Come, dear madam,' taking up my fan, which I had laid down, and approaching me with it, fanning, "'shall I? None of thy impertinence! But say you, all my friends are below with him, and am I to appear before them all? I can't tell if they'll stay when you come.' I think they seemed to be moving when Mr. Soames gave me his orders. But what answer shall I carry to the squire? Say I can't go. But yet, when tis over, tis over. Say I'll wait upon. I'll attend. I'll come presently. Say anything. I care not what. But give me my fan, and fetch me a glass of water. She went, and I fanned myself all the time, for I was in a flame, and hemmed, and struggled with myself all I could, and when she returned, drank my water, and finding no hope presently of a quieter heart, I sent her down and followed her with precipitation, trembling so that, had I not hurried, I question if I could have got down at all. Oh, my dear, what a poor passive machine is the body when the mind is disordered! There are two doors to my parlour, as I used to call it. As I entered one, my friends hurried out the other. I just saw the gown of my sister, the last who slid away. My uncle Antony went out with them, but he stayed not long, as you shall hear, and they all remained in the next parlour a wainscot partition only parting the two. I remember them both in one, but they were separated in favour of us girls, for each to receive her visitors in at her pleasure. 
Mr. Soames approached me as soon as I entered, cringing to the ground, a visible confusion in every feature of his face. After half a dozen choked up, Madams, he was very sorry, he was very much concerned, it was his misfortune, and there he stopped, being unable presently to complete a sentence. This gave me a little more presence of mind. Cowardice in a foe begets courage in oneself, I see that plainly now, yet perhaps at bottom the new-made bravo is a greater coward than the other. I turned from him, and seated myself in one of the fireside chairs, fanning myself. I have since recollected that I must have looked very saucily. Could I have had any thoughts of the man, I should have despised myself for it. But what can be said in the case of an aversion so perfectly sincere? He hemmed five or six times, as I had done above, and these produced a sentence, that I could not but see his confusion. This sentence produced two or three more. I believe my aunt had been his tutoress, for it was his awe, his reverence, for so superlative a lady, I assure you. And he hoped, he hoped, three times he hoped, before he told me what, at last it came out, that I was too generous, generosity, he said, was my character, to despise him for such, for such, for such, true tokens of his love. I do indeed see you under some confusion, sir, and this gives me hope that, although I have been compelled, as I may call it, to give way to this interview, it may be attended with happier effects than I had apprehended from it. He had hemmed himself into more courage. You could not, madam, imagine any creature so blind to your merits, and so little attracted by them, as easily to forego the interest and approbation he was honoured with by your worthy family, while he had any hope given him, that one day he might, by his perseverance and zeal, expect your favour. I am but too much aware, sir, that it is upon the interest and approbation you mention that you build such hope. It is impossible otherwise that a man, who has any regard for his own happiness, would persevere against such declarations as I have made, and think myself obliged to make, in justice to you, as well as to myself. He had seen many instances, he told me, and had heard of more, where ladies had seemed as averse, and yet had been induced, some by motives of compassion, others by persuasion of friends, to change their minds, and had been very happy afterwards, and he hoped this might be the case here. I have no notion, sir, of compliment, in an article of such importance as this. Yet I am sorry to be obliged to speak my mind so plainly as I am going to do. Know, then, that I have invincible objections, sir, to your address. I have avowed them with an earnestness that I believe is without example. And why? Because I believe it is without example that any young creature, circumstanced as I am, was ever treated as I have been treated on your account. It is hope, madam, that your consent may in time be obtained. That is the hope, and I shall be a miserable man if it cannot. Better, sir, give me leave to say, you were miserable by yourself, than that you should make two so. You may have heard, madam, things to my disadvantage. No man is without enemies. Be pleased to let me know what you have heard, and I will either own my faults and amend, or I will convince you that I am basely bespattered. And once, I understand, you overheard something that I should say that gave you offence, unguardedly, perhaps, but nothing but what shewed my value, and that I would persist so long as I have hope. I have indeed heard many things to your disadvantage, and I was far from being pleased with what I overheard fall from your lips, but as you were not anything to me, and never could be, it was not for me to be concerned about the one or the other. I am sorry, madam, to hear this. I am sure you should not tell me of my fault, that I would be unwilling to correct in myself. Then, sir, correct this fault. Do not wish to have a young creature compelled in the most material article of her life for the sake of motives she despises, and in behalf of a person she cannot value, 
one that has in her own right sufficient to set her above all your offers and a spirit that craves no more than what it has to make itself easy and happy i don't see madam how you would be happy if i were to discontinue my address for that is nothing to you sir interrupted i do you but withdraw your pretensions and if it will be thought fit to start up another man for my punishment the blame will not lie at your door you will be entitled to my thanks and most heartily will i thank you he paused and seemed a little at a loss and i was going to give him still stronger and more personal instances of my plain dealing when in came my uncle antony so niece so sitting in state like a queen giving audience haughty audience mr solmes why stand you thus humbly why this distance man i hope to see you upon a more intimate footing before we part i arose as soon as he entered and approached him with a bent knee let me sir reverence my uncle whom i have not for so long time seen let me sir bespeak your favour and compassion you will have the favour of everybody niece when you know how to deserve it if ever i deserved it i deserve it now i have been hardly used i have made proposals that ought to be accepted and such as would not have been asked of me what have i done that i must be banished and confined thus disgracefully that i must not be allowed to have any free will in an article that concerns my present and future happiness miss clary replied my uncle you have had your will in everything till now and this makes your parents will sit so heavy upon you my will sir be pleased to allow me to ask what was my will till now but my father's will and yours and my uncle harlowe's will has it not been my pride to obey and oblige i never asked a favour that i did not first sit down and consider if it were fit to be granted and now to shew my obedience have i not offered to live single have i not offered to divest myself of my grandfather's bounty and to cast myself upon my father's and that to be withdrawn whenever i disoblige him why dear good sir am i to be made unhappy in a point so concerning my happiness your grandfather's estate is not wished from you you are not desired to live a single life you know our motives and we guess at yours and let me tell you well as we love you we should much sooner choose to follow you to the grave than that yours should take place i will engage never to marry any man without my father's consent and yours sir and everybody's did i ever give you cause to doubt my word and here i will take the solemnest oath that can be offered me that is the matrimonial one interrupted he with a big voice and to this gentleman it shall it shall cousin clary and the more you oppose it the worse it shall be for you this and before the man who seemed to assume courage upon it highly provoked me then sir you shall sooner follow me to the grave indeed i will undergo the cruellest death i will even consent to enter into that awful vault of my ancestors and have that bricked up upon me rather than consent to be miserable for life and mr solmes turning to him take notice of what i say this or any death i will sooner undergo that will quickly be over than be yours and for ever unhappy my uncle was in a terrible rage upon this he took mr solmes by the hand shocked as the man seemed to be and drew him to the window don't be surprised mr solmes don't be concerned at this we know and rapped out a sad oath what women will say in their wrath the wind is not more boisterous nor more changeable and again he swore to that if you think it worth while to wait for such an ungrateful girl as this i'll engage she'll veer about i'll engage she shall and a third time violently swore to it then coming up to me who had thrown myself very much disordered by my vehemence into the most distant window as if he would have beat me his face violently working his hands clenched and his teeth set yes 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 you shall cousin clary be mr solmes's wife we will see that you shall and this in one week at furthest and then a fourth time he confirmed it 
poor gentleman how he swore i am sorry sir said i to see you in such a passion all this i am but too sensible is owing to my brother's instigation who would not himself give the instance of duty that is sought to be exacted from me it is best for me to withdraw i shall but provoke you further i fear for although i would gladly obey you if i could yet this is a point determined with me and i cannot so much as wish to get over it how could i avoid making these strong declarations the man in presence i was going out at the door i came in at the gentlemen looking upon one another as if referring to each other what to do or whether to engage my stay or suffer me to go and whom should i meet at the door but my brother who had heard all that had passed he bolted upon me so unexpectedly that i was surprised he took my hand and grasped it with violence return pretty miss said he return if you please you shall not yet be bricked up your instigating brother shall save you from that oh thou fallen angel said he peering up to my downcast face such a sweetness here and such an obstinacy there tapping my neck oh thou true woman though so young but you shall not have your rake remember that in a loud whisper as if he would be decently indecent before the man you shall be redeemed and this worthy gentleman raising his voice will be so good as to redeem you from ruin and hereafter you will bless him or have reason to bless him for his condescension that was the brutal brother's word he had led me up to meet mr solmes whose hand he took as he held mine here sir said he take the rebel daughter's hand i give it you now she shall confirm the gift in a week's time or will have neither father mother nor uncles to boast of i snatched my hand away how now miss and how now sir what right have you to dispose of my hand if you govern everybody else you shall not govern me especially in a point so immediately relative to myself and in which you neither have nor ever shall have anything to do i would have broken from him but he held my hand too fast let me go sir why am i thus treated you design i doubt not with your unmanly gripings to hurt me as you do but again i ask wherefore is it that i am to be thus treated by you he tossed my hand from him with a whirl that pained my very shoulder i wept and held my other hand to the part mr solmes blamed him so did my uncle he had no patience he said with such a perverse one and to think of the reflections upon himself before he entered he had only given me back the hand i had not deserved he should touch it was one of my arts to pretend to be so pained mr solmes said he would sooner give up all his hopes of me than that i should be used unkindly and he offered to plead in my behalf to them both and applied himself with a bow as if for my approbation of his interposition interpose not mr solmes said i to save me from my brother's violence i cannot wish to owe an obligation to a man whose ungenerous perseverance is the occasion of that violence and of all my disgraceful sufferings how generous in you mr solmes said my brother to interpose so kindly in behalf of such an immovable spirit i beg of you to persist in your address the unnatural brother called it address for all our family's sake and for her sake too if you love her persist let us save her if possible from ruining herself look at her person and he gazed at me from head to foot pointing at me as he referred to mr solmes think of her fine qualities all the world confesses them and we all gloried in her till now she is worth saving and after two or three more struggles she will be yours and take my word for it will reward your patience talk not therefore of giving up your hopes for a little whining folly she has entered upon a parade which she knows not how to quit with a female grace you have only her pride and her obstinacy to encounter and depend upon it you will be as happy a man in a fortnight as a married man can be 
you have heard me say my dear that my brother has always taken a liberty to reflect upon our sex and upon matrimony he would not if he did not think it wit to do so just as poor mr wyerley and others whom we both know profane and ridicule scripture and all to evince their pretensions to the same pernicious talent and to have it thought they are too wise to be religious mr solmes with a self-satisfied air presumptuously said he would suffer everything to oblige my family and to save me and doubted not to be amply rewarded could he be so happy as to succeed at last mr solmes said i if you have any regard for your own happiness mine is out of the question with you you have not generosity enough to make that any part of your scheme prosecute no further your address as my brother calls it it is but too just to tell you that i could not bring my heart so much as to think of you without the utmost disapprobation before i was used as i have been and can you think i am such a slave such a poor slave as to be brought to change my mind by the violent usage i have met with and you sir turning to my brother if you think that meekness always indicates tameness and that there is no magnanimity without bluster own yourself mistaken for once for you shall have reason to judge from henceforth that a generous mind is not to be forced and that no more said the imperious wretch i charge you lifting up his hands and eyes then turning to my uncle do you hear sir this is your once faultless niece this is your favourite mr solmes looked as if he knew not what to think of the matter and had i been left alone with him i saw plainly i could have got rid of him easily enough my uncle came to me looking up also to my face and down to my feet and is it possible this can be you all this violence from you miss clary yes it is possible sir and i will presume to say this vehemence on my side is but the natural consequence of the usage i have met with and the rudeness i am treated with even in your presence by a brother who has no more right to control me than i have to control him this usage cousin clary was not till all other means were tried with you tried to what end sir do i contend for anything more than a mere negative you may sir turning to mr solmes possibly you may be induced the rather to persevere thus ungenerously as the usage i have met with for your sake and what you have now seen offered to me by my brother will shew you what i can bear were my evil destiny ever to make me yours lord madam cried solmes all this time distorted into twenty different attitudes as my brother and my uncle were blessing themselves and speaking only to each other by their eyes and by their working features lord madam what a construction is this a fair construction sir interrupted i for he that can see a person whom he pretends to value thus treated and approve of it must be capable of treating her thus himself and that you do approve of it is evident by your declared perseverance when you know i am confined banished and insulted in order to make me consent to be what i never can be and this let me tell you as i have often told others not from motives of obstinacy but aversion excuse me sir turning to my uncle to you as to my father's brother i owe duty i beg your pardon but my brother he shall not constrain me and turning to the unnatural wretch i will call him wretch knit your brows sir and frown all you will i will ask you would you in my case make the sacrifices i am willing to make to obtain every one's favour if not what right have you to treat me thus and to procure me to be treated as i have been for so long a time past i had put myself by this time into great disorder they were silent and seemed by their looks to want to talk to one another walking about in violent disorders too between whiles i sat down fanning myself as it happened against the glass and i could perceive my colour go and come and being sick to the very heart and apprehensive of fainting i rung betty came in i called for a glass of water and drank it 
but nobody minded me. I heard my brother pronounce the words, Art, female art, to Solmes, which, together with the apprehension that he would not be welcome, I suppose kept him back, else I could see the man was affected, and, still fearing I should faint, I arose, and, taking hold of Betty's arm, "'Let me hold by you, Betty,' said I, "'let me withdraw,' and moved with trembling feet towards the door, and then turned about and made a curtsey to my uncle. "'Permit me, sir,' said I, "'to withdraw.' "'Whither go you, niece?' said my uncle. "'We have not done with you yet. I charge you, depart not. Mr. Solmes has something to open to you that will astonish you, and you shall hear it. Only, sir, by your leave, for a few minutes into the air, I will return if you command it. I will hear all that I am to hear, that it may be over now and for ever. You will go with me, Betty?' And so, without any further prohibition, I retired into the garden, and there, casting myself upon the first seat, and throwing Betty's apron over my face, leaning against her side, my hands between hers, I gave way to a violent burst of grief, or passion, or both, which, as it seemed, saved my heart from breaking, for I was sensible of an immediate relief. I have already given you specimens of Mrs. Betty's impertinence. I shall not, therefore, trouble you with more, for the wench, notwithstanding this my distress, took great liberties with me, after she saw me a little recovered, and as I walked further into the garden, insomuch that I was obliged to silence her by an absolute prohibition of saying another word to me, and then she dropped behind me, sullen and gloomy. It was near an hour before I was sent for in again. The messenger was my cousin Dolly Harvey, who, with an eye of compassion and respect, for Miss Harvey always loved me and calls herself my scholar, as you know, till my company was desired. Betty left us. "'Who commands my attendance, miss?' said I. "'Have you not been in tears, my dear?' "'Who can forbid tears?' said she. "'Why, what is the matter, cousin Dolly? "'Sure nobody's entitled to weep in this family but me.' "'Yes, I am, madam,' said she, "'because I love you.' I kissed her. "'And is it for me, my sweet cousin, that you shed tears? "'There never was love lost between us. "'But tell me, what is designed to be done with me, "'that I have this kind instance of your compassion for me?' "'You must take no notice of what I tell you,' said the dear girl. "'But my mamma has been weeping for you too with me, "'but does not let anybody see it.' "'Oh, my dolly,' said my mamma, "'there never was so set a malice in man as in your cousin James Harlow. "'They will ruin the flower and ornament of their family.' "'As how, Miss Dolly? Did she not explain herself? "'As how, my dear?' "'Yes,' she said. "'Mr. Soames would have given up his claim to you, "'for he said you hated him and there were no hopes, "'and your mamma was willing he should.' and to have you taken at your word to renounce Mr. Lovelace and to live single. My mamma was for it too, for they heard all that passed between you and Uncle Antony and Cousin James, saying it was impossible to think of prevailing upon you to have Mr. Solmes. Uncle Harlow seemed in the same way of thinking, at least my mamma says he did not say anything to the contrary, but your papa was immovable, and was angry at your mamma and mine upon it, and hereupon your brother, your sister, and my Uncle Antony joined in, and changed the scene entirely. In short, she says, that Mr. Solmes had great matters engaged to him. He owned that you were the finest young lady in England, and he would be content to be but little beloved, if he could not, after marriage, engage your heart, for the sake of having the honour to call you his but for one twelve-month. I suppose he would break your heart the next, for he is a cruel-hearted man, I am sure. My friends may break my heart, cousin Dolly, but Mr. Solmes will never have it in his power to break it. I do not know that, miss. You will have good luck to avoid having him, by what I can find." for my mamma says they are all now of one mind herself excepted and she is forced to be silent your papa and brother are both so outrageous i am got above minding my brother cousin dolly he is but my brother 
but to my father i owe duty and obedience if i could comply we are apt to be fond of anybody that will side with us when oppressed or provoked i always loved my cousin dolly but now she endeared herself to me ten times more by her soothing concern for me i asked what she would do were she in my case without hesitation she replied have mr lovelace out of hand and take up her own estate if she were me and there would be an end to it and mr lovelace she said was a fine gentleman mr solmes was not worthy to buckle his shoes miss harvey told me further that her mother was desired to come to me to fetch me in but she excused herself i should have all my friends she said she believed sit in judgment upon me i wish it had been so but as i have been told since neither my father nor my mother would trust themselves with seeing me the one it seems for passion's sake my mother for tender considerations by this time we entered the house miss accompanied me into the parlour and left me as a person devoted i then thought nobody was there i sat down and had leisure to weep reflecting upon what my cousin dolly had told me they were all in my sister's parlour adjoining for i heard a confused mixture of voices some louder than others which drowned the more compassionating accents female accents i could distinguish the drowned ones to be oh my dear what a hard-hearted sex is the other children of the same parents how came they by their cruelty do they get it by travel do they get it by conversation with one another or how do they get it yet my sister too is as hard-hearted as any of them but this may be no exception neither for she has been thought to be masculine in her air and her spirit she has then perhaps a soul of the other sex in a body of ours and so for the honour of our own will i judge of every woman for the future who imitating the rougher manners of men acts unbeseeming the gentleness of her own sex forgive me my dear friend for breaking into my story by these reflections were i rapidly to pursue my narration without thinking without reflecting i believe i should hardly be able to keep in my right mind since vehemence and passion would then be always uppermost but while i think as i write i cool and my hurry of spirits is allayed i believe i was about a quarter of an hour enjoying my own comfortless contemplations before anybody came in to me for they seemed to be in full debate my aunt looked in first oh my dear said she are you there and withdrew hastily to apprise them of it and then as agreed upon i suppose in came my uncle antony crediting mr solmes with the words let me lead you in my dear friend having hold of his hand while the new-made bow awkwardly followed but more edgingly as i may say setting his feet mincingly to avoid treading upon his leader's heels excuse me my dear this seeming levity but those we do not love appear in everything ungraceful to us i stood up my uncle looked very surly sit down sit down girl said he and drawing a chair near me he placed his dear friend in it whether he would or not i having taken my seat and my uncle sat on the other side of me well niece taking my hand we shall have very little more to say to you than we have already said as to the subject that is so distasteful to you unless indeed you have better considered of the matter and first let me know if you have the matter wants no consideration sir very well very well madam said my uncle withdrawing his hands from mine could i ever have thought of this from you for god's sake dearest madam said mr solmes folding his hands and there he stopped for god's sake what sir how came god's sake and your sake i pray you to be the same this silenced him my uncle could only be angry and that he was before well 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 mr solmes said my uncle no more supplication you have not confidence enough to expect a woman's favour 
he then was pleased to hint what great things he had designed to do for me and that it was more for my sake after he returned from the indies than for the sake of any other of the family that he had resolved to live a single life but now concluded he that the perverse girl despises all the great things it was once as much in my will as it is in my power to do for her i will change my measures i told him that i most sincerely thanked him for all his kind intentions to me but that i was willing to resign all claim to any other of his favours than kind looks and kind words he looked about him this way and that mr solmes looked pitifully down but both being silent i was sorry i added that i had too much reason to say a very harsh thing as it might be thought which was that if he would but be pleased to convince my brother and sister that he was absolutely determined to alter his generous purposes towards me it might possibly procure me better treatment from both than i was otherwise likely to have end of letter thirty four part one